Okay, full disclosure, that hymn had nothing that sounded Jewish. Um, so I, I'm probably still reeling from the stupid Gucci Italian comment I made earlier. <clears throat> I intentionally assert these little mistakes to keep you from venerating me um, and thinking that I'm perfect because I want you to focus on the Lord. You're not buying that one either. Y'all turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we are, uh, Paul is wrapping up uh, this uh, wonderful, I mean, just Deep, deep. Hadn't it been a great ride through First Thessalonians, the reminders of Christ's return with this the whole theme of the living in the light of his return? Jesus Christ is coming back. He is coming back. It may be this afternoon. It may be 400 years from now. We don't know. I was doing the math the other day, though. We think about all the promises of the, uh, that were given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, uh, where he was all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. The birth of Christ didn't occur until 2,000 years after that. And then 2,000 years ago, we received all the promises of the return of Jesus Christ, and we have not yet seen it. Abraham, Abraham waited patiently. We, too, need to be uh, waiting patiently. But what we're doing is the Apostle Paul is finishing up this first Thess this letter of the Thess Thessalonians, and we're going to find out. He, he didn't answer all their questions sufficiently, so he's going to write 2 Thessalonians. We're going to go right into that once we finish with 1 Thessalonians, but uh, I really think what happens here is, the, as you see this in many of Paul's writings, he kind of makes his major themes, he addresses his big issues, and then th this sounds over simple, and of course he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but I think he starts running out of papyrus. He kind of gets to the end of his paper there, and he starts just firing off little, little points he wants everybody to remember, and then he signs his name, you know, or says goodbye to everybody. And we come to a situation like that in these two verses here. We start to talk about some of the issues within the church of Jesus Christ, especially issues regarding pastors and, and flock. And, and uh, you'll recall, even last Sunday, we uh, ordained two new officers. We ordained a new elder, and we ordained a new deacon. And when, in doing that, there is a vow that they take, of course, to commit themselves to the work of ministry, the calling that they've given. But there's also a vow that the members of this church take, and that is just as important. And you may recall that vow, according to the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, the, the guidelines in the form of government, we ask, do you, the members of this congregation, acknowledge and receive these fellow members as elders or deacon? Do you promise to give them honor, obedience, encouragement, and assistance in the spirit of love in which their office, according to the word of God and the standards of this church, entitles them? You know, that's a big commitment on your part. It's a commitment of faith, it's a commitment of trust, and it's a recognition that the church of Jesus Christ is unlike any other organization. That if God calls a man into church leadership, you as Christians owe him your obedience and allegiance. Now there's times when there's, you don't, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But this idea, this is not something that church leaders make up just to get you to follow. This is a thoroughly biblical idea, starting with Jesus Christ, right? Matthew chapter 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Thessalonians was written just probably 15 years, maybe 20 years after that statement was made. The church, the organization of the church was a very, very early concept within the church, within the writings of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, we saw this in our call to worship. But you have come to, making a contrast between the old form of Hebrew worship, but you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the saints of righteous men made perfect. That is an exalted view of the church, isn't it? It gets better. You wait till we quit sinning and we all come to church. Revelation chapter 21, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, being made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and, he shall, and they shall be his people." And God himself shall be among them, and he shall wipe every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, no longer any mourning, crying, or pain. The first things have passed away, and he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. The Apostle Paul emphasizes this exalted uh, 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 nature of the church and expects obedience in regards to the nature of the church. He writes Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, write so that you may know the one who ought to, how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. Listen, truth is the church in God's eye is a beautifully adorned bride. He has sacrificed everything to save the church. But very often in our eyes, we realize we are a deeply flawed people gathering together on Sunday morning, right? So the Apostle Paul, with those two tensions in mind, is going to emphasize this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 3, the importance of mutual loving care between the leadership of the church and the congregation itself. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we too turn to you in faith and thank you, God, for your holy word. You have not left us without a witness. You have given us a book that comes from God himself to show us how we are to live but you've not left us just with that book. You've also given us the Holy Spirit to apply those truths to our lives. I pray, God, that you would convict us and encourage us, build us up and challenge us as we look to these remarks that the Apostle Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has left the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to do our part. There's so many people that are out there looking to make a difference in the world, looking to make changes and everything, and you have given us a church to do just that. What an amazing thing it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Let us not waste this opportunity, but let us, let us mine the depths of Holy Scripture and seek to obey them. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Again, the principle of a healthy relationship between shepherd and flock and pastor and people, leaders and congregations repeated throughout the New Testament. It's an emphasis in Romans and 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, 1 Timothy, Titus, Hebrews, and of course here in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, because again, we have this vision of what the church should be like and then we have this principle that we are flawed, broken children of Adam. How do those two things to come together? But we have to be told in so many ways. So you'll see here, uh, let me read this uh, verse in its entirety, and then we'll talk about how we're going to break down this principle. So again, turn to your attention to 1 Thessalonians 15 and verses 12 through 13. There at the end of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. God says, and Paul writes, But we request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, and have charged over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. 
So if you, you might uh, be of assistance, especially this time with your home group helps insert because the, the uh, outline of the sermon is not necessarily uh, uh, linear in terms of how Paul does these. We have to sort of uh, mine these pr- principles out of here. But first of all, we're going to see that there, the care for the flock requires uh, the three different points. The care for the shepherd requires three different points. The reason behind those, and then we're going to see a, a mutual care for one another. So first of all, he starts off here, says, but we request of you, brethren. So these are commands. Okay, this is an imperative. You, you, this is not one of those places you can highlight your Bible in black. All right. He, well, there's no place in the Bible you can highlight in black. Uh, he is telling you this is what you need to do. But, he's, but the Thessalonian church is an obedient church. It's one of, his, one of the principal churches that's really got their act together in so many ways. They're being persecuted, but they are sticking with the faith even as young as they were. As opposed to, for instance, the first Corinthian church or the church in Corinth where he writes in first Corinthians. So he is requesting of them that they do this. And this whole principle uh, the, of what the care of the flock requires. So there's four basic words for uh, a church leader uh, within scripture. There's Presbyterian or elder uh, that kind of talks about their spiritual maturity. Uh, we are a Presbyterian church. We are a church that's run by elders or people that are uh, spiritually mature. The second is an overseer. That kind of gives them an idea about what their job description is. They're looking after the flock. That's episkopos. And uh, the King James Version uh, translated that bishops. So you see an Anglican or Episcopal church has more of a hierarchical structure uh, uh, based on this idea, even though the, the words are, 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 are used the same. Uh, we also have a term pastor, uh, which is uh, shepherd, you know, using this uh, shepherd illustration where you are to take, take care of the sheep. Uh, that is the term most often used uh, with Presbyterians. And then you have the idea of just leadership, that they, are, they have responsibility uh, here. Uh, but the, the principle that, that's, that really helps us with this, because again, as the church is deeply flawed, guess what? So is the leadership. We're fallen people, following a calling of God, and that fallenness is sometimes more apparent than other times, right? But there, there's a principle here that this is God's will for you, and it's God's will for church leadership. Because God has actually caused, it's a a heaven-ordained situation. God himself has called people into particular leadership roles. And this emphasis on the various offices within the church, you see this in Philippians 1, where Paul says he's writing to include the overseers. 1 Timothy chapter 3, he gives a description of an overseer. Then he talks about deacons. Uh, Acts chapter 14, you see that he appointed elders in every city. Titus chapter 1, verses 5, uh, that he instructs Titus to appoint elders in uh, Crete. Acts chapter 20, when he was in Miletus going back to, uh, to, to Israel, he called the elders of the church together. 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, 17 is worth re- reading. He, he talks about the two forms of elders. So there's a ruling elder and a teaching elder. He says here, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So again, in a Presbyterian church, you have uh, two offices. One of those offices has two different uh, people in there. You have deacons. And you have elders, and then within elders, you have ruling elders and teaching elders. At this point in time in our church, I'm the only teaching elder uh, of our church, and then we also have ruling elders. And, and you think, well, that's what's the big deal? Listen, you know, folks, wars have been fought over this. It's a bigger deal than you know. And it's one of those uh, contributions that the, the, that the reformers uh, gave to the world, a representative form of government. The United States government 
as far as it is, it is, follows this idea of a Presbyterian. You have a congressman, you have senators who represent you and this sort of thing. So again, as Sinclair Ferguson said, Presbyterian is biblical, but it's the most biblical form of government that doesn't work <laughs> because we're, it, we're, we're flawed people. Nevertheless, we don't give up on it. We continue to, to move forward. So it goes on here following these three areas uh, that, uh, uh, about what a pastor should do in particular, but also ch church rulers in general. This is sort of a job description. First of all, they're to have hard work. He says here in verse uh, 12c, you are to, they, those are who are diligently labor among you. That idea of labor is to work to the point of exhaustion. Paul used it to describe his own tent-making work that he did while he was also trying to minister. Now, it's interesting, of all the positions that I've had, the careers that I've had, this is not the most physically exhausting job that I have. I mostly sit, around, sit in a chair reading or sit in front of a computer typing or sit on the phone talking, okay? It's not, a, it's not you think, it's not laborious from that, that standpoint. But the spiritual pressure, the emotional pressure upon a church leadership is very, very, very heavy. There are heartbreaking things that you have to see. There's insights that you have that most people within the church don't have. Some of them are wonderful and some of them are very difficult. So as one commentator said, that, that uh, uh, the role of pastor, uh, this idea of laboring, it, it would be enough to sap the strength of someone with a robust constitution. You have to have a heart of an angel and the skin of an alligator. The interesting thing is many pastors are called because they're sensitive kind of people. They love God, they love other people, and every now and then they don't like either one of them very much, you know, because of the fallen nature of themselves, but also of what's going on within, within the ministry here. Uh, so you've got to understand that there is an expectation that pastors are actually to, to, to work hard to be the pastor that they should be. And they're held accountability to God for this. It's a very serious thing, a very sobering thing. But notice here that they labor among you. You know, they are actually uh, also a sheep. They have been called out from, from the flock. They are a shepherd, but they also are a Christian who needs leadership, who needs support, who needs encouragement, and that kind of thing. But their ultimate goal is, uh, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. That, the ch this church should be judged by the holiness of its people, by the commitment of its people. And the pastor understands that. We have this consuming interest in judging the success of a church by numbers. And our church has been blessed. We have grown over the last few years. You're going to find out that the budget has is, is grown over the last few years. Those are all good things. But what, but what really matters, whether you're a church of 3,000, 300, or 30, is the holiness of the people. And that's the burn of a pastor. That's a burn of a pastor. A pastor, you, you have to be careful of a pastor who has all these ambitions to be the most popular guy at the Presbyterian meeting, to be the one who everybody looks after and wants to know about. His concern is the health of the sheep, not his own reputation out there in the world. So they had a hard work. They ought to have an oversight here. They have charge over you. This idea of charge over you is presiding over or having a responsibility over you. It's, it, could be, uh, it could be translated uh, managed, perhaps, and again, this is, a, this is something that's been given the pastor from heaven itself, from God himself. Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus says this uh, to the apostles, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
you know, this, the, one of the, one of the, cha- most of, our, most of the, the, the responsibilities of an officer really are a pleasure. And, and part of that is because y'all are a really good church. Our session meetings really are, are really, to a certain degree, enjoyable. Same thing with the diaconate meetings. And we have certain responsibilities, but, but, but by and large, we don't have uh, uh, daily heavy issues to deal with. But sometimes we do. And the elders of this church have been given a responsibility. If there is an unrepentant sinner who is a member of this church, we have the responsibility perhaps to bar them from the table, to excommunicate them, to remove them from the flock. That's a heavy responsibility. Matter of fact, it's so heavy, most churches just wink at that. They, don't, they ignore that. They will have an open sinner still remain members in their, in their midst. And we've had to do that sort of thing before. We've had to uh, rebuke people, correct people, chastise people. That's just one of those responsibilities that comes. So one of the things you need to do is you need to pray for your leaders. We need the wisdom from God on this. And we're dealing with some, sometimes some very difficult, some heavy, heavy situations. But that is actually for your protection. You've got someone who's in the midst, who's toxic, who's hurting other people. That, that, that may very likely be, and we have to act this way, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing. A wolf that's pretending to be a sheep. And that wolf needs to be removed. And you sheep need to be able to recognize those kind of people. Because the leaders are over you here. But again, there's a different... That makes some of us nervous, right? I mean, there's sort of this anti-authoritarian bent that we have anyway. Probably as Americans. I mean, we like started a whole war against England because of that kind of thing. Uh, It makes us a little uncomfortable with that kind of authority. Uh, but again, one of the things that should make us more comfortable is that this is an authority not like the authority of the world. Your elders are not dictators. Your elders are not tyrants. Mark chapter 10 says this. Jesus was calling himself, them to himself. He says, you know that those who recognize are the rulers, the Gentiles, lord it over them. Their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for the many. So one of the qualifications, one of the things we look for when we're going to make a new officer in this church is are they willing to do the dirty job? Are they willing to do the serving? Are they characterized by, by a lack of ego? That sort of thing. And, you know, this is important. I would like for every one of you men one day to serve as a church officer. Okay? You don't serve as a church officer by being George Patton and standing up on top of the pew and order everything around. You serve as a, as a church officer being the, by being the one underneath the pew, cleaning up the old bulletins, making sure the restroom lights are off before you leave, making sure that the dumpster is taken care of, making sure that the old lady who needs to be visited is being visited, those sorts of things. In a sense, it's the unglorious things that qualify you. You know, we're not looking for all the alphas out there to come in and dominate people. And there's a trust aspect with that, right? But we all should be servant leaders to a certain degree. But again, this is a derived authority. It comes from, uh, we are to be in stewards and trusted by God himself. First Peter 5 says this, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. Isn't that interesting? Peter's an apostle. And yet he sees himself as a fellow elder here. Talks about humility, uh, right? 
as your fellow elder and witnesses of the suffering Christ and partaker also the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor let us yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Again, that emphasis of servant leadership is profound there. And notice he says that these are in the Lord. Uh, Again, this emphasizes that true shepherds are not self-appointed. They're not people that are just looking to improve their resume. They're not people who are just trying to use the church to to, to prop up uh, their their sales business. They're people who are called by God in order to uh, care for the flock here. Now we see here instruction, and this is really important, and this is something that, uh, that again, our church is uh, doing right here, that they, are, they give instruction over you, or your translation may say they admonish you. John MacArthur says this, No pastor's authority ever extends beyond the expression of God's will as revealed in his spirit in Scripture. Now, y'all, this is important. It's kind of like uh, 1 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, right? You're to, uh, wives, you're to respect your husband, submit to your husband. Husbands, you're to love your wife as Christ loves the church. I don't think I've ever performed a wedding in my decades of ministry where I haven't used that text. And people hate that text. You know who hates that text? Women who've been hurt by men. And I kind of, in some ways, don't blame them. I don't blame them. But one of the things that's not fully understood is, yes, you are to submit to your husband, but your husband is to submit to Christ. And if you're a Christian, you should be a member of the church. He is also submitting to the leadership of the church. And there are limits to what you submit to. If your husband asks you to sin, tells you to sin, expects you to sin, you do not submit because there's a higher calling there. And it's the same thing with church leadership. You are to respect the leadership of this church, but they are bound by, the, by what Holy Scripture says they should do. And this has been lost in so many ways, especially in these hierarchical churches where you're not supposed to challenge the authority of the church and everything. The, 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 uh, the abuse that has occurred in the Catholic church over so many, many, many decades because of this unquestioned authority that the, the, the Catholic priests are supposed to have over the flock and this kind of thing, and frankly, because of a, of a general neglect of the Word and God in general, uh, you know, that, that's coming to light now. And I think there's going to be some changes made because of that. There's going to be some repentance made. But I have counseled with Catholics before that have been, se- that, that have been sexually abused by the priest when they were a child and then their daughter was sexually abused by a Catholic priest later on. And it was under their watch because you didn't question that priest. If that priest says, I want to be alone with your daughter in this room by ourselves for an hour to pray for her, you're not supposed to question that kind of thing. Well, those days are over with. Praise God, those days are over with. That's where people, they weasel themselves in and they use these kind of texts, if they use these texts, or the structure of the church in order to get away with things instead of actually to care for the flock. They're fleecing the flock. They're abusing the flock. They're eating the flock. So you need to hold the, in a sense, you need to know scripture and you need to hold the leadership accountable too. So if we ask you to do something, there needs to be biblical merit of that. So again, that, that keeps these tensions and pressure, don't they? 
Paul, but this idea of instruction is really, really important because this is the chief emphasis of what a pastor should do. 2 Timothy 4, Paul is dying. He's writing his last will and testament to Timothy, the young pastor. He says this, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ. I bet he got Timothy's attention with that, right? You know, I, how about if I came up to you? I solemnly charge you in the presence of God to do this. Who is the judge of the living and dead? He keeps going. And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. There's our word. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. What's the emphasis there? Truth. Preaching truth and do not deviate from it. Y'all, even the American Evangelical Church is filled with ear-tickling pastors. They want to fill their chairs by being some kind of counselor psychologist to you, by telling you what you want to hear. The job of a pastor, God's man, is to often tell you what you don't want to hear. But you know what's interesting? If you're a real Christian, isn't that what you want? Are you not a little disappointed on a Sunday morning if you walk out of here and you weren't convicted a little bit? Your sin wasn't exposed a little bit. You didn't feel a little stupid for some of the things you said or did last week. You're grateful for the cleansing power of the Holy Word. But the, I think one reason why Paul emphasizes this is he is he's reminding the church they are to instruct you in truth in a sense. Now, now they need to be gracious. We understand that. But this is, the, this is so much of the pain that a pastor endures because he is bound to teach what's in the text even though that might hurt every now and then. Back uh, the last time I was scuba diving, it was uh, I was a sophomore at Clemson, and we uh, scuba dived in the scuba dived in the Crystal River in Florida. Crystal River is amazing; it's like bath water. It's just so clear, and it's also interesting because it's close enough to the coast. We have saltwater fish move up, but you also have bass and brim and freshwater fish and everything. We weren't there for the fish; we were there to see the manatees. You know, a manatee, the sea cow. Early mariners thought that they were mermaids, and it had have to have been that was someone's idea who's been at sea for months because they're a large, bloated, blimpy-looking thing. But the word on the street was the mantis were going to be gone in 10 years because of all the boat accidents and, all, and their habitat and things like that. And every time we would see a mantis, and I got right up close to some mantis, and they had, their backs were covered with scars. Their backs were covered with scars because boats, ignoring all the signs that this is a manatee area, slow down and this kind of stuff, run right over the top of the manatee. That's what happens to pastors. People ignore the signs, they ignore the word, and they just scar the pastor because he dared to love them enough to, to preach the truth. Don't be one of those people. Don't be one of those people. Don't be the one that causes grief for the pastor or for the elder or for the deacon. Don't be one of those people. This is what Paul is saying here. He's, he's telling them that you need to respect them, those who give you instruction here. And what's the pastor, what's the principle of this instruction? Is to equip you to do the work of the building up of the body of Christ, Ephesians chapter 4. And then, of course, according to Titus 1, the pastor is always to hold fast the faithful word, which is in accordance to the teaching, that he may be able to both to exhort the sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. And that's hard when you're preaching. I mean, the, again, I'm a sensitive guy in some ways. 
It's hard for me to preach to you things that I don't always follow myself. To preach against sins that sometimes uh, I end up pursuing myself. There's this idea that, you know, no one wants to be a hypocrite, right? But do I pull the punch because sometimes I'm an idiot too? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have phrased it that way. No, no. I'm preaching to myself for one thing, but also it's the word of God. And you need to know when things are Areas that you need to, to work on. All right, then we see here, care for the shepherd choirs here. And again, this sometimes when you preach these passages, praise God, we just go through the books of the Bible so we don't pick and choose. I don't, this is not the verse I pick every other month or, or when my salary is going to be decided on or anything like that. We're just preaching what God's given us. There could be an accusation. Well, you know, I mean, you're preaching about how the congregation ought to take care of the pastor, and you're the pastor, and, and uh, you know, so, so uh, maybe this is just self-serving, right? It's not. First of all, my conscience wouldn't bear that. I don't like to manipulate people. Here's the other thing is, I don't have to because our church is doing this stuff. Our church is following these principles, and I'll probably give you some illustrations of that. So anyway, he's telling them and he's giving them instruction on how you treat your pastor, how you treat your leadership. Now, why would he go to the trouble of doing that? Well, partly because maybe it wasn't happening. There were some problems. But again, one, one commentator kind of gave me this insight I'd never thought about. Go back in time 2,000 years. Over half the population of the Roman world were slaves. Many in the new church, uh, the new uh, growing churches in Europe were freed slaves or slaves. If you grew up as a slave, you have a certain perspective on leadership, right? A certain perspective on authority. And Paul is saying that God has introduced a whole new organization to planet Earth. And he has chosen to free many people from slaves to in order to make up that organization or continue that they are still slaves. You need to rethink your view of authority. You need to rethink uh, your view of leadership. And I think that's one reason why he delineates some of these things here. First of all, there should be a gratitude and support. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess you could be grateful for a master, but I think it'd be a little bit harder if they actually own you, right? So he says here, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who, uh, who diligently labor among you. Rick Phillips from the Second Presbyterian Greenville says this, Christians must be willing to wholeheartedly support and eagerly receive the labor of their leaders. They should open their lives to the ministry of their pastors and elders, regularly attending worship service and other activities, coming to them for counsel when important and difficult decisions need to be made. They should seek biblical advice and prayer for needed changes in their lives. Above all, they should open their minds and hearts to the faithful preaching and teaching of God's word. It's very hard to push a rope. You ever pushed a rope? It just goes all over the place. It doesn't go in the direction. when You don't want to be a rope. You want to be a stick. Push the stick. Move forward. That's what the pastor's up here is trying to get you to do those things. Don't bow all over the place. You, get, you keep your parameters within the word of God and you move forward. And what you'll find out is God will bless it. Just like the wife who submits to the leadership of their husband, even though she disagrees, she submits herself to his authority and God's going to bless. God's going to look after her because she's doing the thing that he said to do. And it will all end up working out in many ways. But this idea of, create, of, of appreciation, of course, it means and to honor them. It also means to respect, to have a high regard. But it also has to do with finances. It also has to do with money. What do you pay the pastor of your church? The rule of thumb is he should make about the median of, of the uh, income of the congregation that he's a part of. And that's a 
probably a pretty good rule of thumb here. But a Second Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, yeah, Second Corinthians eight one says this. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. A pastor should be able to provide for his family based upon what he does when the church is of sufficient side of that kind of thing. And, there's, and this, is a very, this is a very Presbyterian kind of thing to do because we understand it takes hours to do the kind of research to get that you have to have a certain level of education and that kind of thing to be able to preach the word the way it's supposed to be preached with the expectation. Well, it's very hard to do that if you actually are already working 40 to 50 to 60 hours a week in the industry. It's hard to pull that off. Over years, you could probably do that, and some people faithfully do do that. But by and large, it is the responsibility of the congregation to tithe so that the, the staff can be freed up to be able to do what God is saying that they are to do here. Now, let me tell you, again, I can preach this not trying to, to get a raise. You know why? Because your session already gave us one. We had a budget meeting on Monday. We're going to present that budget to the members of this congregation. And part of that conversation was that, I mean, has anybody noticed inflation? You know, I'm not, we're serving breakfast today at the college lunch. I'm not sure that's going to include eggs. Yeah, I mean, it might include steak instead, try to save a little bit of money. You know, it's crazy. Coffee, which of course, I wouldn't be here now if we didn't have... Coffee has uh, doubled in price. Over the, we, see, we see that, right? You know what? Uh, the, uh, the budget that you're going to receive is an approval to the staff of this church, not just me, but the staff of this church, to keep up with the demands of inflation in this last year. Now, here's the thing that blesses me so much. If they had said 0% increase, we still would have stayed. Because God's called us to be that. They didn't take advantage of that. They know we're not going to We're not going to. That's one of the awkward things about being a minister. You can't come in. I expect more money. I demand this. Where's my car? The, the elders of this church 15 years ago promised me a boat uh, that I've never seen. It's, uh, it's a, kind of an inside joke. I was telling them I wanted a vote on the session. They thought I said boat, and they were ready to, like, yeah, well, here, get a catalog and pick out which boat. And then I said, no, I said vote. Then I realized, oh. <laughs> I could have been up there, you know. Um, where was I? Uh, so, so the budget that you're going to well, hopefully that you're going to approve today includes a genuine, real live inflation cost of living increase for the entire staff. They're not trying to get the pastor, get the staff for as little as much as we can get them. So you ought to feel good about that. Your session has a heart. They're already obeying these principles. You should, you should feel good about it. That is not always the case, folks. Let me, you know, I'm in the business, so I talk to pastors. And some of these guys can hardly meet their, their, their monthly payments. It's shocking to me. I think I used the illustration one time of a calling of a pastor in the last few years that literally was offered the salary that I made in industry in 1987 as a new Clemson student coming out of Clemson a year after I came out of Clemson with a BS degree or two years uh, with a BS degree in business 35 years ago. And that pastor was being paid that same thing that I was being paid. Now, that's a sin. That's a sin. I don't know how he makes it, frankly. I mean, literally, I think he's probably, based on his number of children, he's probably qualifies for welfare. And yet, this church, now, if the church couldn't do more, that's legitimate, but it could. Church has been around for years. They have no mortgage. They could have done that. 
But it's this mentality. It's this idea of get them for what we can get them. Let's not do any more. Your session does not have that mentality. They understand. They have a very realistic approach to what it takes to make a living. So what do they do? They end up, they, they esteem them very highly. That's what they do. They uh, show them uh, 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 gratitude. They appreciate. They honor them. And then you see here this next, received very highly, this idea of respect here. Uh, the Puritan Thomas Watson said this, How does Christ speak but by his ministers? As a king speaks by his ambassadors. Know that in every sermon preached, God calls to you, and to refuse the message we bring is to refuse God himself. Okay, Thomas Watson's a pastor. He wants his people to pay attention. But you know what's remarkable to that? This is the Puritan generation. This is one generation from the Reformation where the church was utterly corrupt. And you could scarce trust a priest to ever actually tell you the right thing that wasn't going to manipulate you into something. And yet he says, listen, when they are preaching the word of God, they are preaching the word of God. It is God's word. You know, one of the things I've picked up, I actually borrowed this from Debt Bowers in Columbia, where I'll start reading a passage. I'll say, God says, Paul writes. That's just, I just like that so much because it's true. So right now in this sermon, if you've been paying attention, God is speaking through me. God is speaking through me. I'll try to tell you when I'm not so sure about something. I, mean, I usually do that. I think it's this way or opinion of others is this way. But you've got to be able to trust God is speaking through me. Now, that's, as a pastor, that is very humbling and very terrifying. I do not want to misspeak. I do not want to say something. I do not want to manipulate. Perhaps I even pull the punch too much because of that kind of thing. But you need to have that kind of confidence. The elders, the deacons of this church, the staff of this church have been called by God here to speak to you uh, through them. And that's why there should be a respect here. It's interesting, this idea, this is where this idea of reverend comes from. If you were to, you're going to send me a wedding invitation, you would write out the Reverend Dr. Alexander Savage Campbell. Okay? Some of y'all can chuckle if you didn't know my middle name was Savage. The Reverend Doctor, okay? Um, and this is funny. I think Baptists like, they, they like to call their pastors either preachers or reverends. And like I go and pick up my laundry down here, uh, right down the, the corner, and um, you know I tell her she's my favorite Baptist, and she she doesn't like my beard, so she gives me grief about my beard. And uh, reminder: Moses had a beard, Jesus had a beard. Um, didn't didn't doesn't matter. She doesn't like it anyway. Um, and I'm like I'm just picking up my laundry. I'm getting like this commentary on my beard. And uh, so she, but they always call me Reverend Campbell. And you know it makes me uncomfortable. I'll be honest with you. But that you are supposed to revere them, esteemly high. It's actually a legitimate title, but it just makes me uncomfortable. It just makes me uncomfortable when everybody calls me Rev Reverend. I much prefer pastor, doctor, whatever it might be. Uh, but that's where this text, she's not wrong. She's biblically correct by doing that. And Baptists are biblically correct by doing that. In Hebrews 13, it says here, uh, chapter 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. Our elders are going to take a retreat in about a month. We're going to go up to Bon Clark and, and um, eat large amounts of foodstuffs. And, uh, but the, the, the whole topic is shepherding. Shepherding. How can we do better at getting into people's lives and making sure that the church is the center of their community and that they, they can rely upon us? We're all failing in this area. Part of it is, it's weird. God's got this sense of humor thing. Church officers are supposed to be men. 
Okay, pastors, at least pastors and elders are supposed to be men. And, you know, there's a lot of people who won't come to this church because we believe that. But it could not be more clear in 1 Timothy and Titus that you're to have male church leadership. So if you don't believe that, you don't believe a lot of other things in Scripture. That's kind of an acid test these days. When people are offended by that. But, but, but men have issues. Can we be honest? We're not the most cuddliest thing around, you know? I mean, if I were to go to pick someone who would take care of the flock, be concerned, take meals over there, I'd pick a woman, hands down, every single time. But God wants the men to do that. Now, we may end up using women to do that and everything, but it's a principle. So it's just interesting how God does that. He's forcing us out of our comfort zone, but it's less natural for us to... Men can kind of tend to be loners, that kind of thing. So we're going to have spend the weekend figuring out how do we do a better job of, of loving you, basically, of, of, of entering into your lives and, and making sure that we're there for you. And then, of course, here that you are also to, uh, to, to love them in love. Uh, the shepherd pours out his heart. You know, my, my emotions are connected with my sermon. I'm pouring my, my heart to you. You need to return that to a certain degree here. Um, and the reason why you do all these things, and this is key, is because of their work. Notice he says that. It's not because, because that guy's a catch. Because, because he, he's more handsome than all the other pastors in town. And we love talking about that at the grocery store. I, I was at a, an event one time, and this woman was talking about a priest. And she goes, I'll tell you one thing, he's not bad to look at either. Okay? Yeah. I can guarantee that has never been a statement out of one of the mouths of my <laughs> They might say, and he's got some boss sweater vests, you know. But, but that's not the point. It's because of their work. Let me tell you, if I have not offended you, disappointed you, some, you just, you're, you're, you're too new to the church. I'm, and I'm not, this is not false humility. I'm just telling you. And I'm going to disappoint you. I am going to say something stupid. No, really, say something stupid. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to miss something. I'm going to forget one of your children's names, right? One commentator says this, <clears throat> that this idea of, of, frankly, loving the pastor because they look, work can be a challenge for you. One, cha- uh, one challenge to achieve this ideal is, that, is, is the longer we know a pastor and elders, the more we become aware of their deficits and failings. Over time, it is inevitable that a pastor is going to let virtually everyone down. The anniversary of a death, or it's a forgotten, wrong uh, uh, thought, well-meant words will, be, uh, words will be spoken, or providentially the pastor will be unable to, at, a t- at a time to come when he's truly needed, and urging for pastors to be loved. However, Paul appeals not to their merits, but to their work. Matthew Henry comments, there must esteem their ministers highly in love. They should greatly value the office of the minister, honor and love the persons of their ministers and show their esteem and affection in all proper ways. And this is for the work of sake, because their business is to promote the honor in Christ and the welfare of men's souls. For all of my flaws, I love Jesus. For all of my flaws, I love God's word. And for all my flaws, I love the church of Jesus Christ. So it's very likely, if you're upset at me, it's, it's not because, I've just, it's an oversight. It's an oversight. We've had a person leave, uh, leave the church before that wrote an extensive letter about all of my failings. And you know what? Some of it was right. I mean, if the letter had been, this guy's incompetent, I would have said, yeah, I guess, I'm, you know, I've made some mistakes, you know. But it was, it was all these sinister motives behind all the decisions, and, and we just were not there. It was not true. 
Mrs. Dunlap will remember early on uh, in the church, we had a lady leave the church and, and her state. Now, usually when someone leaves the church, their stated reason is not the true reason. But her stated reason was because I didn't ask about her daughter who was sick in Greenville. And I said, I didn't know your daughter was sick in Greenville. She goes, I know I never told you. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't take a class in being clairvoyant, you know. I, well, uh, let me go get the tarot cards and try to come up with this one, you know. Can you say tarot cards in a sermon? I don't think. Uh, you know, but that was her state reason. Just bitter, bitter, because I didn't ask about her daughter in, in Greenville. She left the church. She left the church. My suspicion, she was actually mad at one of y'all. She just took it out on me. <laughs> Which, by the way, also happens. If you're mad at God, you can't slander God. You can't go against God. You can't beat God up. So who's going to be the next one in line for the pummeling? Right? You know, you're mad at your husband, you kick the dog. You're mad at God and you kick the pastor. That's, I'm just telling you, that's how it happens, right? All right, so... <clears throat> If you think about what Paul, Paul's writing this, Paul's writing this out of experience. Remember he went to the Galatian church, he had some kind of disease. And some commentators said it might have been even a repulsive kind of disease. Like, you know, you think healthcare and all that kind of stuff back then was kind of grim. Uh, he says here, he says, he was so grateful for that church. He loved that church so much. He says, you would have plucked out your eyes for me, even in the midst of my despicable condition. So Paul has seen this practice in churches and expects the Thessalonian church to do this uh, as well. So anyway, one implication of this, and this is a little bit of a side note, but not really. Notice the emphasis on commitment. Commitment of the congregation, commitment of the pastor. Both ways, goes both ways. And, and I'm going to offend some of you right now. If you're not a member of a church, you're going to fail in this aspect. You're just going to fail in this aspect. Now, I'm not talking about you just move to town. You got to check out a church. We don't want church people. We don't want people to join our church the first week. They need to check, kind of check things out. But if you are a long-term attender at a church and you see that as your church, but you've not officially said, I'm a member of this church, I will sign, I will take that vow, uh, then, then I, I don't know your particular situation, but it's very likely just sinful. It's fear because you're afraid to make the step of faith. Or you're afraid something's going to happen. You've had a bad experience in the past. It's self-righteousness. Oh, I don't see that in Scripture. And, and I, you don't have to actually be a member to be part. I'm, I'm saved, so I'm part of it. Um, it's, uh, it's just sloth. It, it's just, I don't know what it is. But you need to commit. You need skin in the game. And, you, and this is, this is an uh, epidemic situation in the American church. Everybody wants to keep their options open all the time. Let me tell you, we wouldn't be in this church right now if we started with a bunch of people who wanted to keep their options open. And, 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 it's, and what I, I, can't, I cannot leave this parallel. Why did you marry your spouse? Why did you marry your husband? Why did you marry your, your, your... Because you wanted to be under the bonds of a covenant. You wanted to submit. You wanted, you knew that a relationship like marriage can be very difficult sometimes. You needed that covenant promise. Whenever I do a wedding, I start off, dearly beloved, we're gathered together in the sight of God and of men and of these witnesses. That is a covenant promise here, okay? And you did that because you didn't want to cohabitate. You didn't want to just move in together and sleep with each other because you know that's a violation of Scripture. 
If you come to a church long time and you've not joined that church, you're cohabitating with that church. You're sleeping with the church of Jesus Christ. That's heavy. You're going to be upset at me. But I just, that's the way I see it. So, wherever you're at church, and a lot of people aren't going to our, they don't go to our church. We've got a lot of people here today. You need to commit. And what's ever keeping you from committing, if it's a personal thing for you, you need to get some counsel on, maybe repent from that. If it's an issue with the church, you need to address that with the leadership or go to another church. And, that, and I would say that to the college students too. Uh, you, we have an associate membership here at our church. If you continue to come here and you think this ought to be the church you ought to join, uh, you need to join as an associate member. You don't get to vote. You know, but you're saying, I'm part of that church. I, I'm in there. I want the oversight of the elders. I want, I want, to, be, I want to be counted. I want to stand up and say, I'm, I'm, I am making a stand with this particular uh, group of people. We literally had, some years ago, we had a college student. She's a precious girl. I bet she had 40 to 60 meals in my house. And in the four years she was at Anderson University, she never joined the church. Now, are we going to still feed her? Yeah, we're going to still feed her. Do I press this church members? This is, how many, how many times do I mention this? Very seldom. But I think that's part of the context here. If you're trying to weasel your way out or you just hadn't gotten around to it or whatever, you, I want you to be convicted. I want you to be convicted because Paul is writing to a set group of people in the Thessalonian church that have got skin in the game. They're being persecuted. They're not sitting on the fringe thinking, when it gets hot, I'm out of here. They're saying, we'll join with the people of God. And that man is my pastor. And those are my elders. And I will take that vow to support them. And I will take the vow uh, of membership uh, that is given to us. So I just think that needs to be said. In a day where everybody wants to keep their options open, we don't even return texts. We don't RSVP wedding uh, receptions. The church of Jesus Christ needs to be different. We need to take a stand. And then he closes here by talking about how we care for one another, right? And, and I think the one another here is between pastor. Uh, there's a mutual care for one another. There's a relationship here. It's like a marriage relationship. There's a marriage relationship here uh, in the church of Jesus Christ. There, the pastor cares for the people. The people care for the pastor. And it all really does work out well. I forgot the turnover rate for young pastors. And there's a bunch of people here that are going into the ministry. I think the average life expectancy of a pastor is one and a half to three years at the most. And again, an indicator of your church is I've been here for 15 years, over 15 years now. Uh, the fact that no one else will have me shouldn't go into your... But, but they're, just, they're just run out of town. And sometimes it's their fault. Sometimes it's their fault. But, but, but the pain of that... You know, back in my days, I used to be a, a consultant with the Department of Ed, and I'd travel all over the, all over the state. And you're in the classroom and you're, you're interviewing uh, uh, people and, uh, for some federal funds and things like that. And you know what was weird? One, one, of the, one of the axioms that even if a superintendent over the whole school district, even if they were bad, even if they were not a very good superintendent, the school district did better if he would just stick around. The school districts that seemed to suffer the most were the ones that trained school superintendents every couple of years that, you know, they just had no momentum. There was no stability there and everything. So even if the guy was just some kind of stupid old redneck, I don't think I can say stupid old redneck in a sermon either. But anyway, but I'm telling you, I've been to some places in South Carolina and the guy was like, oh, good. I'm glad he's gone. You know, no, really, actually, they've gone down since he's gone. There's a continuity there. How many churches would benefit from that of really taking care of their pastor? 
and pastor taking care of their congregation and having continuity over years. Over years. Well, I was doing a little search the other day of stores that have closed in the last few years. Stores that have been around for decades. Right? For instance, Circuit City. Remember Circuit City? Kmart. Toys R Us. I cried a little bit on that one. You need to go see my study. Orange Julius. You remember you go to the mall and get an Orange Julius and KB Toys? We spent yesterday cleaning out the garage. We threw away four bags of Beanie Babies. KB Toys. I own KB Toys. Blockbuster Video. Remember that one? Remember the days when the only movie that Christians could watch were Chariots of Fire and Ben-Hur? You know, you wore that thing out, right? VHS tape. That's all you did on a Saturday night. Guess what? The church of Jesus Christ has been around since Adam and Eve. It is the oldest institution. It is the only eternal institution known to man. And you are a part of it. And it's so wonderful that God died for that institution. It's just different, folks. We're not Kmart. We're not KB Toys. And we're still going to exist in heaven. One commentator says this, the church is the most blessed institution on earth, the only one built by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the only institution he promised to earthly bless, and the one about which he declared the gates of hell will not overpower it. Revelation 2, the whole Bible closes with this. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root of the offspring of David, the bright morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes to take the water without cost, come. Folks. We have a responsibility to make sure this church is healthy for the next generation, the next generation, the next generation, the next generation, because it will be around forever. And so much of that has to do with this mutual care between pastor, leadership, officers, and congregation. Let us be found faithful. Lord, I pray that you would just show us truth, help sift through stuff that was too much of me and not enough of you. But I pray, Lord God, that with a holy confidence we can look to your word, And help us when we do so to be most uncharitable towards our sin and most charitable towards you and others. Give us insight that we don't have. Change our personalities, even our goals, our ambitions, our loves. Cast down our idols. Let us keep our eyes towards heaven and just realize how precious, glorious, majestic, and how much loved is the church of Jesus Christ. In Christ's name, amen.